Hello, dear listeners. Welcome back to this episode of, of Sabbath School from Home. Uh, another discussion on stewardship from a slightly uh, different direction this time. Thankfully, I, I feel that the topic of tithers has uh, occupied our attention for long enough. Having said that, in post-discussion discussions, we did come up with some extra perspectives, but we might reserve those for, for concluding thoughts at the end of this season. Um, we're going to be uh, moving an enormous distance, Lachlan, from tithes to offerings. I see. I see. Yeah, well, I'm Lachlan and I'm looking forward to this. I have to admit that um, I was a bit disappointed to miss the the most recent recording, so I'm sorry about that, especially since Ken was back on board. Uh, it seems that for this session, it's only going to be the two of us, uh, Cam. But I was disappointed to miss it because our discussions on tithe, as you say, on the one hand, have been almost a bit of a chore because it's not, well, it's just not a particularly fun topic, I suppose. But our discussions nonetheless have opened all sorts of lines of thought in my own mind. And, um, you know, I hope that listeners are aware that our, our discussions, while we've been asking lots of questions, I don't think our discussions have necessarily been critical of tithe or tithing or the way that the Adventist church um, approaches it too much. Um, but yeah, I, I feel that there's a huge amount more of nuance happening there than, than some of the simple stories that I remember hearing as a yeah. child growing up. And I suppose it is appropriate for us to move on to talk about offerings because that's the other large part. Uh, well, I suspect that offerings might actually have a broader application than this but tithes and offerings offerings are the other large part of the regular practice of giving within the adventist community yeah um and uh and the passage we're going to read lock touches on on the slight discomfort we've felt and which ten, uh, ken i think articulated very clearly in our last episode uh because the church has an institution benefits from tithe giving there's something that feels especially to australian ears uh, very I was say, dodgy is true strong a word but there's something that does not sit easily about the church you know openly admonishing people to tithe in quite the way it does especially you know effectively two lessons right at the start of this quarter have been on that that topic hmm. um uh and it's it's a difficult question because you know, institutions don't run on air and when you're part of the institution you need to support it, and uh, the institution is well within its rights to remind people mm. that it needs support. But it just just feels a bit uh, uncomfortable. And um, I think this passage we're going to look at now is is the New Testament church equivalent, uh, because we're going to turn to Second Corinthians. Now we're going to pick it up in chapter nine, verse six, and um, this is perhaps you know one of the more quoted parts of this extended passage but the passage is quite extended and we may go back and look at some of the sort of introductory comments that lead to this statement um, but we might read from chapter 9 verse 6 first and discuss what we think and then and then move backwards as it were through the book from there so i'll start reading second uh, corinthians chapter 9 verse 6 remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. As a man sows, so shall he reap, is what Miss Prism says in, in The Importance of Being Earnest. Oh, and, that's right. Uh, 
she says it all the time and there's a there's a excerpt where dr trausable and miss prism have just met um the main character uh john and um john informs them that his brother who doesn't exist Anyway, it's a complicated story. Go go watch The Importance of Being Earnest somewhere if you, if you can. But it informs, informs them that his brother has just died of a severe chill. And his brother is a very wicked person, uh, supposedly. And Miss Prism says, uh, As a man sows, so shall he reap. And uh, Dr. Chorsable says, Charity, dear Miss Prism, charity. Uh, even I am susceptible to drafts. So... <laughs> um, so uh, there you are. Uh, As a man sows, so he shall reap. I'm paraphrasing. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for his gift, too wonderful for words. Uh, th- thanks, Locke. That um, is an interesting passage in that it contains most of the elements we've identified from this quarter that have caused us discomfort. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I would like to jump straight in uh, just to contrast this. So it it seems to me that the concept of tithe is not at all prominent in the New Testament writings of the Bible. I, I think there is reference in the Gospels to Jesus admonishing the scribes and Pharisees who, who tithe their dill and their cumin, uh, but neglect some of the weightier responsibilities, namely the poor and suffering in their midst. Um, so tithe is not entirely absent from the New Testament, but it's not so prominent. And in its place, we have, you know, this is prominent because as you say, we've jumped into this story partway through this. If you read it by, by you know, percentage of, of words allocated to, this is a reasonably important concept. Uh, it's one of the important messages here in Second Corinthians. Yeah. And it's definitely not tithe. Um, you must each decide, verse seven, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So decide in your <laughs> heart how much to give. That's totally different from the idea of tithe, yeah. which is just a very clear mandate of 10%. I do. Um, I do. Yeah, exactly. I do have to chuckle a little bit like at the admonition not to give under compulsion. Um, <laughs> you know, um, don't do it. Don't do it because I want you to. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think you should. I think you definitely should. But no, no, don't, don't do it just because I'm saying. I think do it because you want to. Do it because you want yeah. to. It's a bit like telling someone not to worry. Um, there's nothing more worrying in the mm. don't panic. If I, you know, if you started a sentence with the words, now everyone don't panic, but you know, everyone's blood pressure doubles immediately. Um, yeah. 
the elements here, which of course is a bit of discomfort, is this sort of uh, mercenary uh, bargain. Oh, if you give generously, God will be generous to you. So feel comfortable giving. Um, mm. That's in here. Uh, we should do it cheerfully. There's something very uh, sort of rubbing salt in the wound to say to someone that they must part with their money and then to say they have to do it cheerfully. I mean, that's... Yeah. Um, so, so not only should we pay tithe, or as the lesson said in the last couple of weeks, we should we should be really happy to pay tithe. Um, and uh, Paul here is uh, well, actually, maybe there's some differences. Uh, one of the differences is that Paul motivates. I'm talking about differences between this passage and the last two weeks of the lesson. I'm not out to bash the lesson. Uh, I've, I just get a bit, I, I am a bit cross at the way the quarter started. Uh, one of the things that Paul does in this passage is explain to them where the money goes. Mm. Um, that seems to me a, a pretty good approach. So maybe that's a difference between between most sermons I've heard of on tithe. And, uh, you know, Paul does not say um, it is important that you give because giving is moral in and of itself, and denying yourself the use of that money uh, is the hallmark of spiritual greatness. Mm-hmm. He says you must give because there's these particular people that really need it. Yes, and the particular people that really need it. I want to actually come back to this, but um, at at straightforward reading, the particular people that need this money uh, uh, do not include Paul. So this is another difference. We've commented on the slight discomfort of having the people who are admonishing you to give being the very people who are benefiting from the amount that you give. Whereas in this case, there is actually a separation there. Paul is saying you sh- you should give and you should give generously, and he's saying and I I'm not it's not it's not funding me in my ministry. It's actually it's actually for others. In fact, like I'm going to rewind a little bit now because. He in chapter eight he recounts them a, a recent history of their generosity. You know, last time I was with you, um, uh, and about another church, and another church was just given so generously, and um, then in the previous chapter, no, previous to that, in chapter six he's talked about his own personal hardships. He has already, by the time he has asked for the money, made it clear that his own life is not an easy life it's not like mm. he's mm. you know preaching from a position of comfort um and and <clears throat> i guess we need to ask ourselves how much the look of things matters in this regard like do you remember when the avondale had the car policy the it was yeah. under a different ta- it was under a different tax code and um it was possible to own a company car and not pay fringe pen benefits tax on it or something. I can't remember. It was, it was pre-GST and the tax system worked differently. And it, it worked out that um, the college could buy cars and sell them after two years and turn a profit. Mm. So it was it was literally not costing the college or college staff members, Avondale College staff members, any money to do this. In fact, some of them were making money off it. Mm. Uh, but But... All the lecturers were running around sporting new Holden Commodores, yeah, and were standing up in front of big camp meetings, explaining to the faithful how much Avondale needed their financial support. Yeah, and that yeah. that smacks of the same sort of. Now, it wasn't the cars were actually financially benefiting 
the people and the institution as a whole. Like there was, there was no money being lost there. There was in some cases money being gained um, with the way the car pricing and second-hand market was at the time. Uh, but the look of it wasn't that good. And yeah, Paul well, seems and- to be... Paul's a bit sensitive to that, I think, in this letter. Well, he is. And I think some of the people to whom you're referring were a bit sensitive as well. So I know um, of one particular person who was actually a pastor, I think, rather than an employee of Avondale. But uh, a similar a similar car scheme um, was working at that time for them. And this particular pastor did lots and lots of driving and so covered lots of kilometres and actually tra- changed over their cars more quickly than every two years, even more quickly than every year. Um, what they did was deliberately bought the same colour every time they they replaced their car. The, the reason the cars had to be replaced was something to do with the way the tax system worked and the cars mm. uh, it had to be, had to be um, sold at 40,000 kilometres. So if you drove lots of kilometres, that could ac- actually be relatively regularly and this this pastor chose to always buy the same color and he had custom number plates and he'd transfer them to his to his new car and um in doing so somewhat obscure the fact that it was always you know so frequently being replaced with a brand new car um and the story goes that that one time they didn't have the right color and so he had to get red instead of the color that he normally got and as soon as he had a red car he kept getting pulled over by the police uh, because as we all know, red cars do in fact go faster. Um, yeah, exactly. But the, <laughs> the the idea the idea there is that the appearances do matter. I, th- I think this is really true. Yeah. In fact, if we go back to the start, I'm going to do a quick lightning survey of the way this, this book, just reading the, the titles of sections, which I know are editorial, they're not in the original uh, text. If we have a look at this, uh, the letter starts with... A passage praising God. Um, Paul uh, talking about the fact that he needed to change his plans. Um, And uh, a passage on forgiveness. A passage about the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. Um, How much better the new covenant is than the old covenant. Uh, Talking about the difference between the present weakness we have in this life and the, the resurrection life to come. Uh, we're eagerly waiting for the new body about Christ's ministry of reconciliation, his own personal hardships, warning against idolatry, uh, Paul's joy over the church's repentance, um, and uh, he praises them for being able to take criticism well and positively. Um, and then a history about um, people local Macedonian churches being eager to give even though they didn't have a lot and what what good their gift giving is doing to them and to the people that they're giving the gifts. And then we get in chapter 9 the admonition we read to to join in this giving. Mm. And then he goes on to other themes. Um, so it's obvious that this is a very important passage of the book. Uh, but by the time we get to the admonition to give not only have we found where the, that particular money will go who the people will benefit but he's outlined in fairly broad terms what god's done mm. well that's interesting isn't it and there's a few the you know there's a few other he also what he's done is highlight it seems to me on a number of occasions highlight that he's in his intention to be transparently responsible with the money. So I noticed this um, in 
chapter eight, um, the so in chapter eight he's talking about um, traveling together with Titus. Um, we're sending another brother with Titus. This is chapter eight, verse eighteen. Um, he was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we take the offering to Jerusalem. Uh, we are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. That's that's chapter eight, verse twenty. Um, so again, the 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 really clear communication of trying to be a responsible steward of this money. I mean, if we if we're thinking in the broad theme of stewardship for this um, quarter. That's a big part of what's happening here. Um, and then at the very start of chapter 9, just be- before we picked up when we started reading it, uh, verse 1, I- I'm, st- I'm struck by Paul writing, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. This also contextualizes the admonition to give that we read because it's not mm. it's not a tirade against a bunch of tight-fisted selfish people that need to have their their reality checked. It's mm. it's really a bit of a of an encouragement and celebration of people that have already demonstrated their intention to be generous. Yeah. I've got a story about this. I went hiking with my 6-year-old son recently and I noticed something which I've noticed with the, my other two boys when I took them bushwalking, overnight bushwalking for the first time. So Matthew was carrying about five kilograms on his back, which for a six-year-old is proportional to what I was carrying on my back, um, you know, a little under a quarter of his body weight. And um, there is no quicker way to speed up a six-year-old carrying a pack than to praise them for how fast they're walking, (laughs) even if they're not walking fast. You only have to say, oh, goodness, we're going very quick. I think we might get there by lunchtime. And poof, he's off. Um, <laughs> so yeah. um, there's that sort of element of psychology. I I guess I might as well, uh, the longer I talk, the more I'm thinking that, uh, what's that saying? This man doth protest too much. Uh, mm. When I said I'm, I'm not out here to tire out against the lesson, I guess the honest truth is, Locke, that I do feel a discomfort with the way that, church asks for money i mean that's yeah that's basically what it what it comes down to um i would like to think that i would be more generous if i was just left to my own Hmm. devices and allowed to give as i felt fit it is quite possible though that i wouldn't be Mm. and you wonder if there's an element of that in this story too you wonder if paul's just treading that really fine line where um it would be nice not to have to write the letter yeah. with this in it, because it could be counterproductive. Um, but if you don't ask, you know, it can slip people's minds. Uh, well, there's other subtle ways that it can slip. So, um, I mean, we've all been navigating a, a even less cash-dependent society since COVID and the fear of money transfers being a vector for, you know, uh, infection transfer. Uh, I know many churches did away with a physical offering bag passed around yeah. um, and came up with other ways to try and collect offerings. And some of those, some churches are still pursuing those. 
But let's go back before COVID to the time of actual money bags being passed, offering bags being passed around. How easy is it to fall into a rut of always giving, if you're going to give cash, of always giving a similar sort of um, amount of cash? I, I know, I recall when I was a child in children's Sabbath school, the sort of offering that I would often put into a Sabbath school offering basket and of course this was purely didactic the money was given to me by my mother it would have been something like 50 cents or a dollar you know a couple of coins um yeah how tempting is it to keep giving a couple of coins even as the world around us has changed so much at that same time at the swimming carnival at school you could i remember you could buy a paddle pub ice cream for 40 cents and of course this story could be repeated in you know people whose memories go back even further you could buy an entire house for you know four pounds or whatever it might have been so the point i'm making is that inflation happens and it's so so easy not to factor that in to the amount that you're giving as an offering this is of course one of the upsides of the tithe model with a 10 percent, with it being proportional um so i I guess Mm. that's that's there's a couple of insidious and secret ways subtle ways where our intention to be generous can actually come unstuck and not work not be as generous and that's sometimes where a little bit of admonition or explanation or clarification or reminder might actually be really quite valuable yeah we certainly can't be too critical of the adventist church putting a lesson in on stewardship because you know now that i think about it this topic doesn't come up that often it's not really like they're harping on about it yes well uh i mean somewhat belatedly uh, in preparation for this recording, I, I've browsed through a number of the topics in the lesson that are yet to come. And I actually think that we may have, have started with the most difficult ones to start. And we've got some actually some really good, valuable, useful and interesting discussions yet to come. So there you are, listener. Keep keep following our podcast so that you don't miss out on those and we'll, we'll hopefully get to them. Um, there is something here in this story, though, that I want to mention um, while we're discussing it. And it's particularly significant in light of the the sort of fundamental summary of the motivation. The verses we finished reading, which are at the end of 2 Corinthians 9. Um, uh, so two good things will result from this ministry. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will be joy. They will joyfully express their thanks to God. This is a little bit speculative, but um, my wife is a member of the Society for the Study of Early Christianity, something something like that. I, the name may be some, somewhat different, uh, which is based in, at Macquarie University, which is where my wife did a, um, early Christi- an ancient history degree in early Christian studies. So one of the presentations that I recall her describing to me was a presentation by one of the historians pro- proposing the idea that this money that was collected for the Jerusalem church never actually was received by the Jerusalem church, not because of the nefarious um, fraudulent dealings of Titus or Paul or anyone else involved, but because of the um, pride of the Jerusalem church who did not want to receive money from these Gentiles. Remember, in Acts, the entire um, conundrum, really, of the early churches is the, the Christian message spreads to the Gentiles. And the Jewish believers, at least some of them, 
remain fairly convinced that that these Gentiles need to become more Jewish before they can be followers of Christ. And the church overall, and Paul is a massive reason for this, decides that actually that's not the case and that Christ's message is applicable to the Gentiles. But remember, when Paul does return to Jerusalem, um, he tries to show his willingness to get on with the Jewish Christians by participating in a Jewish cleansing ritual. And that whole saga really is what leads to his arrest and the eventual, um, you know, transportation to Rome, which is where we understand he died. So is it, if it is possible, and I'll admit it's speculative, I'm not the historian, I wasn't even in the audience listening to that presentation. Um, But if we speculate that there seems to be at least some plausibility to the idea that the Jewish Christians, despite real physical need, might have in fact rejected this generous gift simply on the basis of, I guess, politics, um, then we then we have a really interesting thing for us to think about slightly as we wonder whether the same sort of thing could be happening today. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Look, the, um, uh, you could easily imagine that a small amount of uh, pride would exist among these, you know, new Gentile adherents to this faith in being able to send money back to the... <laughs> yeah. it, it would have been like the early colonial Australians sending some, you know, sh- wool back to prop up the monarchy or something, you know, because um, um, yeah. they're in a battle, so we'll help them out. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it certainly... Uh, yeah, you wonder what happened. There's certainly no record in the Bible of, of what, what happened to the money. Mm. Um, it is also interesting that one of the... That, that comparison you, you read out in the last verse, um, two good things will happen. Uh, now, my translation is quite different. Like uh, I'll read mine, then you read yours. I'm reading verse 14. Mm. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's verse 14 and 15 in your translation? All right, uh, not so different. Uh, And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Um, The phrasing that I read just a moment ago was actually verse 12. Um, Ah. That was where I said, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So it's actually very similar. I find from verse 11 to the end, the same idea is actually, it feels like the same idea is repeated maybe maybe two or even three times. Um, Well, it's interesting that the people should thank God. Ought they not thank the Macedonians? Yeah. (laughs) And and if you said, if I was admonishing people to give money, I might very easily say, if you give money, they'll be very grateful to you. Mm. But that is not what Paul says. He says, if you give them money, they'll be grateful to God. Hmm. Which is his way of saying that God is wanting to do something. Yeah. But on this occasion, his chosen instrument is you. Yeah. Yeah. My own uh, practice with giving offerings is... uh, intermittent and sporadic and undisciplined to the extreme, partly because I never carry cash with me. And so if I do have some, you know, I might give more offerings in one week than in four preceding weeks combined. Um, Mm. Secondly, because I'm often not there, um, 
I uh, often pop up to visit my grandmother, uh, which I find a wonderful thing to do uh, during church. And, uh, of course, uh, uh, people who can't come to church find Sabbath morning to be the most lonely time of the week mm-hmm. because everyone else is at church. Uh, so, um, But it does make me think as I read this passage in Paul, I, I'm, I feel more compelled reading the passage in Paul than I, than I did um, glancing through the lesson. Uh, I, I am, in general, more comfortable with the concept of generous giving than I am with... Uh, now, I'm equally comfortable with tithe in the abstract. Um, I just find it difficult when it's promoted by the institution. Mm. Well, uh, even within that, um, this whole idea of offerings, um, you know, so just perhaps in conclusion, there's the general idea of offerings, which is, um, you know, this is a this is really a one-off collection. This is more like a special, um, you yeah. know, like we've saw, well, like we've seen in recent years and months. Um, uh, flood relief special collection. Uh, does anyone have yeah. any, you know, let's collect some money together as a church, as a football club, as a, um, you know, workplace yeah. to send to, to flood affected areas in Australia or Ukraine, Ukraine support. I, I got an email from a colleague at a university who was actually Ukrainian, but uh, I think she works in an Australian university and was simply spreading out uh, a little bit of useful information saying some of you are wanting to be able to help and not knowing what to do to help. I'm a little closer to the situation. And here's one of the things that I've looked into, done some research on and recommend as a responsible um, place to send some money. And I thought, that's great. You've saved me the time of doing my homework. Uh, I'm more than happy to to listen to what you've said. And, um, you know, there's a great place to send a little bit of money. So there's that. But the way that offerings are often the way that word is more typically used within our Adventist communities is the um, it's regular giving, but it's almost like a steady roster of projects. You know, the offering this week in church is for education or the offering this week is for the local church budget or the offering this, you know, you know, you, you, mm. you, many of you have probably encountered the, the same sort of phrasing. Um, this becomes even more striking if if any of you do what I do now. Um, as I was commenting, COVID has changed things somewhat, and I now regularly use the Adventist Church e-giving app, which frustrates me in many ways, um, but but does function and at least allow me to easily provide um, a non-cash based offering to whatever church I happen to be attending that week with. Um, you know, with with a number in the area and and playing mm. as as a member of the local uh, Avondale brass band that goes and and visits smaller churches around the place to to play music for them throughout the year, um, it's not it's not at all unusual for me to be wanting to provide an offering to a church that that is not perhaps my my normal church. Well, here's the interesting thing: in the e giving app, you don't have to follow the roster. You can look down the list of all the different offerings they've coded up. Many churches have a list that's 20, 30 or more offering categories long. And it can be mm. quite overwhelming. And it does make you sort of look at it and think, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I wanted to give a few dollars and now you've made it really hard for me because which which destination do I want to send my few dollars? Um, so this this is an interesting one. How, how do you choose where you're going to assign 
your your offering, your gifts, yeah. free will gifts of generosity. There are so many competing, really valid, very justifiable causes. Hmm. There's uh, exactly um, the flip. Next flip side is, um, uh, and this is the point that I. This is the point. This I guess this is the real focal point of d- discomfort for me. Is <clears throat> when is enough enough? Hmm. Now, the trite answer, and I guess a very true answer, is um, we ought be willing to sacrifice everything if needed. I accept that. I also accept that one of the things God wants me to do is to look after my children, including um, not just feeding them, but their gen- general well-being. Uh, going camping uh, with my son. Uh, well, they cost a tank of petrol and a bunch of camping gear. And uh, it was in one sense selfish. It was money spent within the family. Uh, but in another sense, it was selfless in that um, it was a camp very much organised around the, the needs and wishes of Matthew. Um, uh, a family holiday. We just had a family holiday. Um, uh, that cost a lot of money. Uh, that's perhaps... a more money involved and potentially could be seen as more selfish. More selfish again. I'm not enjoying my work as a teacher. I have a passion for aviation. I have just spent too much money on upgrading my license from a private license to a commercial license. It's not even certain that I'll get work out of it. And if I do, it's just earning more money. Anyway, um, I, I accept we should be willing to give up everything. But I also accept that the our responsibilities to the church as an institution and to a religious activity is only a subset of the things God is interested in. Hmm. So God's in, God's interested in functional communities. The first miracle Christ did was at a wedding. It was a bit superfluous. Um, you know, if there's a local group that meets a lawn bowls group or something like that, and you're part of it, and you're a, the salt of the earth. You know, one pastor I, I knew used to be part of a classic cars club. Um, hmm. And it was his chance. Is the one thing he said, I'm a pastor and I, I, my head's in the church seven days a week pretty much because he's preaching on Sabbath. I need one thing in the community, mm. which is not a religious activity, where I'm not there in a religious capacity. I'm just there as a member. Mm. Um, well, I commend that. Obviously, that took some of his time. Um, part of me feels when the church is asking for money Um, Well, actually, I run Sabbath schools and I'm on the preaching roster and Melissa does music and works on another Sabbath school as well. Is not our time offering enough? Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes sometimes we, as an introvert, I seldom leave church invigorated, um, even even when it's been very meaningful. Um, And even when I have some satisfaction in being able to help in the process, um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much money I give them; they will always ask for more. Mm, mm. And well, um, the, and the the flip the, side of that is, it doesn't matter how much money you give; there will always still be valid causes. Well, this is this is exactly it. Um, they they the reason why they're always asking for more is you don't have to take a cynical viewpoint on that. There's, there's good reasons for it. Um, mm. There's so many good things that could be done, but. It, you're then left in a position where you can't make a decision. Yeah. Uh, you know, you only have, um, you know, the time of our life when we were most, uh, when Melissa and I were most uh, relaxed, not relaxed, we were stressed in lots of ways, but in terms of decision-making on finances was 
early in our married life where we were negotiating the purchase of a first house and um, our parents gave us a loan that was interest-free over a short amount of time um, just because at the last minute the bank changed how much deposit we needed and anyway, it was complicated. And so then you say, all right, it is very obvious what our priority is. We've agreed they were generous to us and lent us this money and we've agreed to pay it back in X and that. So we will pay it back and we'll just put mm -hmm. all the finances into that because that's something we've agreed to do. And then you can yep. sort of breathe a sigh of relief and say, oh, well, that was the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but when you're not in that position, when there is like sort of, when you actually have money to spend, um, the thing becomes, to me, quite burdensome. Yeah. Well, I think this is actually a thought to end on because there isn't a clear answer here. There's just the it's it's worth it's worth leaving for everyone to just ponder. Um, I heard a comedian once um, point out that if you if you were to suddenly, um, you know, win win a lottery or something, and suddenly get get fifty million dollars, that doesn't make your life easier. It makes your life harder. Because you suddenly have so much more dis choices available to you, that means you have so many more decisions to make. And they they were mm. slightly humorous. They point they were in London, and they pointed out, you know, what are you? They asked the 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 person interviewing them, you know, what are you going to have for lunch today? You know, maybe you bought sandwiches, or maybe maybe you're going to go down and and you know buy something from the corner store. But if you just won fifty million dollars, you also mm. have the option. Why not get on a plane and go to Paris for lunch? You know, yeah. suddenly the question of what am I going to have for lunch today is not a simple question because the constraints have dropped, right? It's everything is on the table now. And and they were making the point suddenly it's much, much more complicated. And I thought at the time that it was quite funny to listen to, but listening to what you have just described, I think actually it's there's a profound element to it as well. Um, and and it's it's related to this to this question of giving. Um, so I, I, sus I suspect that's a good place, Cam, for us to, to maybe yeah. leave it for any listeners to, to ponder a bit themselves. Yeah, and they can send us their thoughts to the email address sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And I, I'm really interested to hear any perspectives on this because it's, it's something that I'm not fully easy in, in my own mind about, about what the sort of best general philosophy is. Um, mm. In sort of in in practical terms, um, and uh, I guess the general pattern though is fairly clear. Uh, as we become increasingly aware of what God's done for us, uh, perhaps it will be increasingly obvious to us what we should do with our financial resources. Uh, that seems to be sort of the general flow that that Paul's picked up in Corinthians. So, you know, may that be our our prayer always. Uh, Thank you so much to our listeners for uh, tuning into this discussion and please join us again next week. Also, feel free to share this podcast with your friends if, if so you wish. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode.